Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. For years, ParCast has worked tirelessly to bring you an unprecedented look at history's most radical true crime events. Your support has not only allowed us to keep exploring these stories, but has driven us to keep expanding as well. So as a thank you to the ParCast listeners, I am honored to announce the release of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's available on July 12th, and you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. The Branch Davidians, the Ant Hill Kids, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults combs through the terrifying details never explored in any of Parcast's series before. This is a passion project only made possible by you. So we truly hope you'll enjoy it. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. On January 15, 1947, the body of a young woman was found in a vacant lot near Los Angeles's La Merte Park. She would come to be known as the Black Dahlia, the victim in one of the city's most infamous unsolved murders. The body was Elizabeth Short, a 22-year-old who moved to L.A. to pursue a career in the movies. But instead of making a name for herself in Hollywood, she was the victim of a brutal murder that included torture and dismemberment. Today's list covers the essential details and theories about who was behind the unsolved crime. Some of the theories do seem like a stretch, but once we get to number one, I think you'll be fully convinced of who the culprit is. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the ParCast research gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 clues and theories about the Black Dahlia killing. See, the Black Dahlia case is actually, and you know this, the one I always point to whenever anyone asks me what got me into true crime. Oh, totally. Because I distinctly remember back in the days when E! would do those like true crime specials with AJ Benza and yes. all that smoke. Yeah, fog fog machines yeah. everywhere. He would always be standing on a very fog-filled like street in L.A., and I'll never forget the time that they featured the Black Dahlia case because they showed, you know, obviously the blurred out crime scene photos that are very infamous at this point. And I was I was startled. I was bewildered. I was shocked. All of the above. all of the worst adjectives you can think of. But I just couldn't get over all the details surrounding the case, which is exactly what we will be counting down today. I actually think this was the first case that you and I ever discussed with each other, too. Like, we were so young. I feel like I remember being, like, super young talking to you about this, but just, like, both of us were, probably. Yep. But in a way, it was kind of my intro to true crime, too, because of that. And then I learned so much more when we covered it on Morbid. Yeah. You did, like, a crazy deep dive into that. But I swear, every time I look into this case again, because I'll always just, like, read it over. Yeah. It always intrigues me. And I swear, every single time I find something new. Yep. 
It's just such a convoluted investigation, and I swear a new person's name is associated with the case every single time I look at it. Oh, yeah. Like, the theories are insane and so varied, but there's one name in particular that comes up a ton in this case, and it may or may not be close to number one or number one. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It might be. Okay. Who knows? Me. I wonder I <laughs> who that could be, Elena. Ooh. I mean, I can't be totally sure because Elena has five clues and theories about the Black Dahlia murder, but so do I. But the catch? Neither of us know what's coming on the other one's list. Let's start the countdown. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Ten. I'll start us off with number 10 on the countdown, the way Elizabeth Short's body was mutilated and posed. The body of Elizabeth Short, which was scrubbed clean, drained of blood, and sliced cleanly at the waist, pointed to the murderer being somebody with medical expertise. The person who found Short's body at first thought that it was a mannequin, and the lack of blood at the scene suggested to the FBI that she had been killed somewhere else. That's one of the scariest things about this case is no blood. I know. And the way that she was posed and cut, there would be a lot of blood. Oh, everywhere. So it's like, where is that blood? The other scary thing? Several organs from her body had been removed. That's so Jack the Ripper. It is. It really is. There were slashes carved on either side of her mouth, creating the look of that maniacal grin. Some people call it a Joker smile. Or is it a Glasgow smile, yeah, too? Yeah, it can be referred to as that. Yeah. Short had a tattoo of a rose on her thigh that had been cut off of her. Oof. Marks on her body suggested that she had been tortured and her head was severely beaten. An autopsy confirmed the official cause of death was hemorrhage and shock from lacerations and strikes to the head. That's horrifying. Like a hemorrhage and shock? And shock. That's so, Oof. so horrific. The surgical treatment of her body led police to question students at University of Southern California's medical school. It also led them to a physician named George Hodel, who we'll discuss later in the episode. Yes, we will. Ten. 
At number nine is a suspicious envelope with Short's personal items, which was sent to the press. The Los Angeles Examiner received the envelope in late January, a few days after Short's body had been found. The envelope contained Short's birth certificate, social security card, and an old address book with the names of at least 75 men. The book reportedly had the name Mark Hansen on the cover. When Mark Hansen was questioned, it turned out Short had stayed at his home from time to time, but he was ruled out as a suspect. The envelope itself had words clipped from newspapers that spelled, here is Dahlia's belongings. This is very, again, very Jack the Ripper. It is. Like, very from hell letter, Mm -hmm. you know? Also, really bad grammar. That pisses me off. I know, it really is annoying. The envelope also had a cryptic message with more clipped words that said, Heaven is here. I don't know. Like, I've heard that before. Yeah. And I've never been able to make sense of what that could mean. I have gone over this and over this. I cannot figure it out. All I can think of is... I know I keep, like, relating it back to the Jack the Ripper, but it's like, is it somehow some kind of callback with, like, from hell, heaven Mm. is here? I don't know. Or maybe, like, some kind of thing where this person thought they were, like, saving her because she was living some kind of life of sin. Because I know that was kind of wrapped up in it, too. Like, her lifestyle, like, people didn't really love her lifestyle at the time. Yeah, and it's like, or are they saying, like, heaven is here now that she's gone? Right. I have no idea what that could mean. So many. It could mean so many things. It could literally mean anything, to be honest. And so cryptic. It could mean nothing. That's the other thing. This could all be just a bunch of crap that's just to make people run in a hundred different directions, which is what it's doing. Exactly. So it kind of worked. But the contents of the envelope were cleaned with gasoline, apparently to erase any fingerprints, which is like, whoa. That's high tech someone who knows what they're doing as well yeah that's high level criminal thinking in my opinion but police reportedly received other letters from people claiming to be the black dahlia killer but none of them were authenticated they reached out to many of the names in the address book but it didn't lead to any new information so it's kind of just a dead end and that's the frustrating thing about this case is i swear there's like so many things that they followed up on but they just lead nowhere yeah they just kept running into brick walls At number eight is the Black Dahlia's real name and identity, Elizabeth Short. When news of a corpse with black hair started to circulate, papers referred to Short as the Black Dahlia. The name seemed to reference a crime noir film released the previous year called The Blue Dahlia. Following the discovery of the body, the FBI was sent blurred fingerprints via something called a sound photo machine, which was an early version of a fax machine. It took the Bureau just 56 minutes to identify the body as belonging to Elizabeth Short. Her fingerprints appeared twice at the FBI's collection. In January of 1943, she had put in an application for work as a clerk at the Army Commissary in Camp Cook, north of Santa Barbara. When she worked there, she was featured as a Camp Cook Cutie of the Week in the camp's magazine and credited with increasing the business at the store thanks to her good looks. Good for her. I know. 
Now, seven months after that, she was arrested in Santa Barbara for underage drinking. She would have been around like 18 or 19 years old. The identification of Short also led to revealing details about her life. She was one of five children raised by a single mother after her father had left the family. She had reportedly fallen in love two times with soldiers after leaving home, but both times the soldiers ended up being killed in battle. Oh, that's so sad. I know. And this was around the time of World War II. Yeah. So it makes sense. It was apparently following the death of her second love that she decided to move to California and become an actress. Her life is so, like, theatrical already. It is. It feels like, you know what I mean? Like, she has, like, two lost loves who were, like, lost in battle. Right. And she moves out to California to, like, start a new life as mm-hmm. an actress. It's, like, something somebody would write. It is. And even you know? the childhood, too. Like, the father leaving the family. Yeah. And she goes looking for something that she didn't have. Yeah. It's really, it's, like, very much in line with, I think, what she was presenting to everybody, too, which is, like the actress, the film noir star, you know what I mean? It just comes off. Seven. At number seven is Orson Welles. A friend of Elizabeth Short wrote a book making the case that she believed Orson Welles, the renowned actor, writer, director, was a suspect in Short's murder. Just to note, Wells was never considered a police suspect in the murder. Mary Pasios was a neighbor of Short's growing up in Massachusetts. What up, Massachusetts? She was 10 years her junior, so she was just 12 at the time of Short's murder. Mary's book about Short's murder is called Childhood Shadows, The Hidden Story of the Black Dahlia Murder, and was published in the year 1999. Here are some of Mary's points trying to connect Wells to the crime. Elizabeth Short's sister claimed that she wrote a letter home shortly before her death, reportedly saying a movie director was going to give her a screen test. Just to note, the letter did not mention Wells specifically. So really, that could have been anybody. Could have been anybody. Mary interviewed witnesses that said Wells and Short may have visited the same restaurant in Los Angeles during the same time period. I'm going to be honest. These are very loose connections here because they, a lot of people attended the same restaurant in Los Angeles at the same time period. Yes. Mary believed that Wells had a volatile temper and mental condition called diphasic personality, where creative frustration can turn into aggression. Wells apparently constructed a carnival funhouse set for his movie, The Lady from Shanghai. The set used props that included female body parts, a mannequin face mutilated like shorts, and a woman's body cut in half. Just to note, the scene showing these details from the set never made it into the film. I'm going to be honest. This theory is probably the one that is the farthest from reality to me. Yeah, the least convincing for me, too. It's just... It's things that you can kind like the puzzle pieces sort of fit, but then you look at them and you're like, is this actually a fit? Yeah. Like, in my opinion, none of it fits, to be quite honest. Like, I don't even see a puzzle here. I see, like, (laughs) just completely different board games mixed with video games here. Like, none of them make any sense and they don't go together. I don't know if it like we should be diagnosing someone with a certain kind of personality type when we don't really know them. I mean, we don't even know if they ever came in contact in any way, shape, or form. Right. Maybe they ate at the same restaurant at some point, but that's in L.A. at the same time period. I'm sure we could say that about most anybody at that 
point. And how many movies have included female body parts and a mannequin face that's mutilated? And that's, you know, it's like we could point to a number of horror films. We could point to anything and be like, well, there's that. And that doesn't mean the director murdered someone in that way. No. So I'm going to go with a no on this one. I am as well. Six. At number six on our list of Black Dahlia clues and theories is the connection to the Zodiac Killer. Steve Hodel is a former Los Angeles Police Department detective who has suggested that Short's murder may have been carried out by the Zodiac Killer. Oh, and by the way, he also thinks that his father was the culprit. The Zodiac Killer was active in the late 1960s in Northern California, when at least five people were murdered by an unknown culprit. The killer sent cryptic letters to the media and made phone calls to police, mocking them about the unsolved cases. Steve Hodel is the son of George Hodel, who we mentioned earlier. George was considered a suspect in Short's murder. Now, Steve has floated a theory that the Zodiac Killer was the person who also killed Short and that his father may be the Zodiac Killer. Imagine how terrible of a father you have to be for your child to be like, I think that you might be the Zodiac and the Black Dahlia Killer. That's a really bad dad. That's a really bad parent. And just a really bad person. Like, that's really scary to me. I'm like, this poor guy. I'm like, what did you grow up with? I know. Oh, poor Steve. Well, I'm going to tell you just how bad it was. George Hodel was, quote, an extreme sadist and, quote, misogynist at the highest order, according to his son. He left the country after the Black Dahlia murder and lived in Hawaii and then the Philippines. Wow. Steve believes that his dad returned to California in the 1960s. He theorizes that's when his father started killing again. On Steve's website, he draws a comparison between his father and the sketches used in the Wanted poster for the Zodiac Killer. In 2021, an independent group claimed to have ID'd the Zodiac Killer, and it wasn't George Hodel. But don't worry, we're going to come back to George soon. We absolutely will, and that one's strong to me. Absolutely. The fact that he left the country after that, like, come on. And I could see it, but the Zodiac theory, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, um, the one that stands out for me so far is that Orson Welles one, just because of how how bad that theory is. <laughs> that one is just like throwing spaghetti at the yeah. wall and hoping that it sticks. Yeah, I can't, I can't really get behind that one. It's the hotel of it all really sticks out to me. I gotta say, the hotel of it all has always stuck out to me. And if, yeah. honestly, if he's not number one, I'm leaving. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll see because okay. I have number one, but I hope you don't leave before that. I'll let you know. But you know what? I think, I mean, so far, that's the one that I really go with. Like, I can't really think of anything that fits as well as the George Hodel one. Neither can I. And I know a lot of people share that opinion. Yeah. But but we still got five more to go through. I was going to say, we got a few more, though. So let's see. Listeners, I have a very special announcement. ParCast is releasing its first book on July 12th, and you can help us celebrate. It's called Cults. 
inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who joined them. And you can pre-order it today at parcast.com slash cults. This book was written for the fans, so to commemorate its launch, Parcast will be throwing some exclusive in-person and online events featuring popular true crime hosts such as Ashley Flowers from Crime Junkie, Christine and M from And That's Why We Drink, and more. Just visit parcast.com slash cults for event dates, locations, and how to sign up. See your favorite true crime authors and podcasters discuss the cults book and have a chance to participate in live Q&As. These events have limited space, so don't miss out. RSVP today. None of this would be possible without your support, so we truly hope you'll join us. Pre-order your copy of Cults and sign up for upcoming events at parcast.com slash cults. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of Black Dahlia clues and theories. Starting off the second half of our list is George Knowlton. In 1995, Janice Knowlton wrote a book called Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer. She claims her father killed short in the garage of their family home, something she discovered through a repressed memory. I mean... It happens. Repressed memories are a thing. They, they are. are real. They are very valid. Sometimes they can bring up things that really happened. Yeah. But this is a pretty big one. And I guess, you know, we'll see. We'll see what else comes together. Let's get into it. Janice grew up in the town of Westminster near Los Angeles. Her childhood home had a makeshift bedroom in the garage. Elizabeth Short and her father were having an affair, according to Janice and Short would regularly stay in the garage. Just to note, Janice would have been around 10 years old at that time. Okay. Janice believes that Short suffered a miscarriage, which is when she claims she watched her father beat Short to death. She also says that she accompanied him to dispose of the body. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, George Knowlton died in 1962. Weird that it's another George. It is weird. Janice brought her theories to the police and was so persistent that in 1991, they decided to excavate the lot where her childhood home stood, but nothing was found in the lot. Oh, man. At the time, an LAPD homicide detective said Janice's theories were, quote, not consistent with the facts of the case. She also appears to have been obsessed with the case and left, quote, long rambling voice messages about it to one Los Angeles Times editor. Her stepsister also disputes Janice's theory. She called her book trash and said Janice's theories about her father drew a wedge between her and the rest of the family. Okay, I'm sure they did, but you should never call somebody's book trash. I know. She maybe really believed that this was a real thing that occurred. And, and maybe, maybe it, it was. Did. Who knows? Now, Janice died in 2004 at age 67, and the theory about her father seems to have gone with her. I'm going to be honest, this theory is definitely not a strong one in my opinion. 
Yeah, this one doesn't hold up for me a whole lot, especially be because they they tore down the entire lot and found nothing. Yeah. I feel like if her father had done this to a person, they would have found something. And it's to me, this doesn't feel like someone who just randomly did this and then disposed of her in that way. No. It feels like there was a lot of thought and a lot of preparation and a lot of like meticulousness to this. Right. Like it wasn't just sudden because no. something happened in the garage. You yeah. Know? Like draining of the blood, the way she was posed, the cutting off of the tattoo, the like the smile there. It's All of it I feel like is very specific and there was a very real thought process behind it. A very horrible nefarious thought process behind it but I don't think it was one of those like whoops crime of passion no I I, I don't you know? think so either it feels like there was just a message to be sent here and I don't think this was it but I'm, I'm sure Janice went through a lot to have repressed memories like this yeah that's so sad I do feel bad four Landing at number four this week is the theory that the Black Dahlia killing is connected to the lipstick murders. In February of 1947, just three weeks after Elizabeth Short's body was found, another body was found in West Los Angeles. One newspaper headline read, Werewolf Strikes Again, Kills L.A. Woman. So was this murder tied to the Black Dahlia? Let's look at the facts. The body found was of Jean French, age 44. Like Short, she had dark hair and was found lying naked. Jean's body had been laid on a red dress and a blue coat. A police report describes Jean's body as, quote, completely covered with bruises, blood, and mud, and her face was, quote, beaten to a pulp. On her torso, written in red lipstick, were the words, fuck you, BD, and the letters T-E-X. Note, this is exactly why it was called the Lipstick Murders. Jean seemed to share other similarities with Elizabeth Short. It was the 1940s, and both women had taken what would be considered a less traditional life path for the time. Jean was three times divorced and well-traveled. She worked for an oil company for a period of time that required flying over the jungles of South America. This led her to getting her own pilot's license. She had been married a fourth time, but her husband was allegedly abusive and the pair had separated. The night before she was murdered, Jean went out for dinner and drinks. Afterwards, she went to a drive-in cafe, and she told one of the workers that her husband was sadistic. She also showed him her black eyes. She was last seen getting into a car with a man late at night outside of another cafe. Police investigated Jean's estranged husband and son as potential suspects, but found nothing to tie them to the murder. They also apparently investigated the link with the Black Dahlia, an LAPD captain said at the time that he believed, quote, Elizabeth Short and Jean French murders were committed by the same man. Personally, I am not so sure here. This is another one of those that there's some things that connect that you're like, all right, like this is one of those that I like more than the Mary one, like the more than the Orson Welles one. Right. This one at least has like some puzzle pieces that seem to fit, but maybe don't have exactly all the edges in. You know? Yeah, exactly. I don't know about this one. Exactly how I feel. The Black Dahlia murder feels specific. It me. does. It doesn't feel like one of many. It feels like very specific to her. I agree with you. You and know? The whole lipstick thing, I feel like if the killer was going to do that, 
he was also going to do that in the Black Dahlia case. Yeah. Like, why would he do it in one and not the other? Exactly. And it's sophisticated in it a horrible is. way. It you is. Know? Three. Number three on our countdown of Black Dahlia theories is its supposed connection to the Cleveland Torso murders. In 1934, at least 12 people were murdered over the course of four years in Cleveland, Ohio. Several of the victims were dismembered in a similar way to Elizabeth Short, with precise cuts. Some have floated the theory that the same perpetrator carried out both the Torso murders and the Black Dahlia murder. The first body was found in a historic riverbed in Cleveland in September of 1934. The body had been cut in half, and only the lower half of the torso remained. It was amputated at the knees and had a preservative-like substance on it. A year later, two more bodies were found near the same area. One of them had the same preservative-like substance. The way the bodies had been dismembered and cleaned was similar to how Elizabeth Short's body had been found. Both murderers apparently used butcher knives to decapitate and bisect their victims. The Cleveland police were reportedly presented with a potential suspect for the torso murders. The person was brought in secretly for questioning and a lie detector test, but he was never charged with the murders. Years later, an anonymous letter was sent to the Cleveland police by someone purporting to be the Cleveland torso killer. The letter writer claimed that he had moved, quote, to sunny California for the winter. Oof. The timing could have lined up with the Black Dahlia killing, but no conclusive evidence beyond this ever tied the two crimes. For this one, this one's pretty good. This is a strong theory in comparison to the others. This is the one that makes me, because I said before how I feel like the Black Dahlia was very specific. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is the one that could make me reconsider that and make me be like, wait a second, is it part of a... A larger thing because this one just fits more. It fits more. And the thing about Black Dahlia, too, is that it's so hard to believe that that was the first time a person had done that. 100%. So for me, I'm like, it does make sense that they, I hate to use this term, but got a couple under their belts. Yeah. And then moved out to California. And because the timing lines up, it is pretty convincing. It does feel kind of right. I'm not going to lie. That one's not a bad one. I agree. I'm not going to get rid of that one. I love that that last one was like finally something that I felt yeah. was convincing. And it's the whole doctor element to it. Right. Because I really, truly believe this person has some kind of anatomical knowledge. Definitely. I, I gotta believe that. Well, it's If you can drain a body of its blood and just like so cleanly bisect yeah. somebody. And, and like to take organs. Right. I know that like technically you wouldn't have to be a doctor to do that, but it feels like someone who has some kind of knowledge of it. I agree. Not just some like, like this doesn't feel like an oddest tool or like a Henry Lee Lucas. No, that's no, just no. like this dirty monster who just like floated through town. It feels like there is something here. Yeah, a dirty doctor. Some kind of terrible skill. Agreed. Period, unfortunately. I can't believe we only have two left. I know. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. 
Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of Black Dahlia clues and theories. And number two is Leslie Dillon. Leslie Dillon was a former mortician's assistant who was taken into custody by police in relation to Short's murder. He was eventually released and was not named an official suspect in the case. But a book published in 2017 called Black Dahlia, Red Rose by P.U. Eatwell makes the case that Leslie's release could have been part of an LAPD cover-up. Ooh. A year after the Black Dahlia murder, Leslie wrote to an LAPD psychiatrist asking for details about the case, supposedly for research into a book that he was writing on sexual psychopaths. Leslie then met with a psychiatrist to tell him about his connection to the murder. He claimed that a friend of his was having an affair with Short and ended up murdering her. At this point, he was taken into custody by police. He seemed to know many details about the case, including speculation that Short had been murdered in a hotel room. After Leslie's release, he sued the police department for their treatment of him. In her book, P.U. Eatwell alleges that Leslie might have been released by the police because one of the lead investigators for the case had ties to Mark Hansen, who Ooh. was an alleged co-conspirator in Short's death. You may remember the name Mark Hansen from earlier in the list. His name was on the front of the address book in the envelope with Short's personal belongings. Hansen was known as a mover and shaker in Hollywood. He was also one of the last people reported to have spoken with Short before her death. Short allegedly stayed with Mark for a few nights and he was attracted to her, but those feelings were not returned. For her book, P.U. interviewed the son of a former investigator who worked on the Black Dahlia case. This person remembers his father and fellow cops saying they believed Leslie had killed Short along with Mark Hansen and one other person. You know what? I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people are not considering multiple people involved here. And honestly, to me, it would make sense that multiple people would be involved because so much went into this. That's in like, unfortunately, like the beating she received could be from several people. Definitely. And then the amount of mutilation done and dismemberment feels like that could take more than one person. Right. And the fact that he was a mortuary assistant. Mm hmm. Hello. Exactly. One last interesting note on Leslie, years after Elizabeth Short's murder, he had a daughter that he named Elizabeth. All right. That's weird. That's that would weird. be super creepy if he was the one involved and then named his oh, daughter can Elizabeth. You imagine? No, that's like sadistic on another level. Oh, my God. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 Black Dahlia clues and theories. George Hodel. We've mentioned George Hodel a few times now. 
His son Steve, a 23-year veteran of the LAPD, has written in-depth about the theory that his dad was the Black Dahlia murderer. Let's take a look at his theory. I'm so glad this is number one. I don't have to go anywhere. There you go. You can stay. Following his father's death, Steve found a box containing a small photo album at his home. Two of the pictures were a girl with dark hair that looked to him like Elizabeth Short. He decided to start investigating. Here are some of the ties that Steve focused on in his investigation. His father, George, was a longtime doctor who had the medical knowledge to bisect Short's body the way it was found. Ding, ding, ding. Steve found receipts from contracting work done on his Los Angeles childhood home. A number of people related to cops who worked on the case reported hearing that the suspect was a doctor who, quote, lived on Franklin Avenue, the street the Hodel family lived on at the time of the murder. If the street fits. There you go. Steve decided to write a book on his findings in 2006, which was called Black Dahlia Avenger. LA Times journalist Steve Lopez read Steve's book for an upcoming column and uncovered a bombshell. Are you ready for the bombshell evidence, I was born ready. Lopez got access from the L.A. County DA's office to a case file from one of the officers that investigated Short's murder. The file showed that George Hodel was one of six main suspects police were focused on who could have committed the killing of Short. It turns out that police bugged George's home for a period of time during 1950. The transcript from the eavesdropping had some shocking quotes from George talking to an unknown person. At one point, he said, quote, Realize there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired 1259. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Oh? Seems pretty damning. Yeah, definitely does. Well, George goes on to say, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. I mean... I mean, I'm sorry. I would never... Never. Be like, suppose I did kill that person. Like, what? why are we hypothetically talking about this? Don't ever suppose that I've killed anybody. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm never going to hypothetically talk about murdering anybody because it's just... Unless I've actually murdered someone. And I feel like nine out of ten times when somebody says that, suppose I did do it, they are the killer. You should suppose they did do it if they're saying, suppose I did do it. Precisely. Lopez shared this information with Steve, who took the newly discovered documents to a friend at the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. The friend wrote Steve a letter saying, quote, The name of Dr. George Hodel will live in infamy, and that if George was still alive, he would file two murder charges against him. Boom. Shut the book. Case closed. <laughs> George Hodel, pretty sure he did it. Have always felt that way. I gotta agree. That Cleveland torso murder is compelling. I will give it that. George Hodel, to me, there's not a doubt in my mind, to be honest. I believe it. I really do. I believe it. I I wish we had the concrete evidence. I would love a smoking gun here. We do have the concrete evidence. We have literal concrete evidence. That is very true. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. But we don't have that that smoking gun. I don't know what smoking gun I need, but I I need it. That one thing that says without a shadow of a doubt. Because right now, I believe he did it.
I wonder if there's any way that this could ever get solved. I just, I don't know how it would get solved. Like, I don't know, like you just said, what that smoking gun I know. is. There's got to be something. There's always a way. There is. It's never hopeless. Where there's a will, there's a way. Always. But honestly, I think people will be obsessed with this case even at that point too. Like, yeah. even if it is ever solved, because it's just so interesting. And it's convoluted. It's complex. It's Hollywood. It's very, like seedy and very glamorous at the same time it's got all that like all that stuff to it because she was such an interesting and glamorous but like troubled person you know like right. it has all those things that people hear in a story and are just compelled to listen to it definitely and it's just tragic like oh, it's yeah. so tragic when you read it from beginning to end it's tragedy from beginning to end. It, it truly, truly is. is. Whoa, that was wild. <laughs> wow. See, you can't help it. You can't even deny it. I don't think anything was left off, to be honest. I think these are really the main ones that I would hit as I think well. so. And these are the most compelling things about the case, I would say. I would have to agree. Yeah. I think the podcast research gods killed it. They nailed it. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do, you can listen to our other podcast, Morbid, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can follow us on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast or on Instagram at Morbid Podcast. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo, with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Fact-checking by Lori Siegel. Research by Jay Cahio. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters, Jonathan Ratliff, and Tracy Levy. It's associate produced by Gitu Mehra with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Elena Urquhart and Ash Kelly. Hi, listeners, it's Vanessa. Exciting news, ParCast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them, is now available for pre-order at parcast.com cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before. Details which haven't even been explored in our Cults podcast. Visit parcast.com cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them.